You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. We have been in a series called Making Space. Um, for a bit, and we've been focusing that making space into the practice of prayer. We've been focusing on making space for prayer throughout a series of sermons, um, approximately four, including today's. The first one, we talked about making space for adoration in prayer. And if you recall, when, when I shared on making space for adoration, Uh, We hinged everything on that, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we talked about how adoration is not something that I can, that I should do because of a duty, but rather I should seek to cultivate affections for God, awe-inspired worship. Then we went to making space uh, to align ourselves through prayer, specifically align ourselves with the purposes of the kingdom and with the will of God. You say in the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's not just to say your will be done, but understanding that praying for the will of God to be done is a prayer for our alignment to fall into place in our hearts with his will, and yes, that means with his kingdom practices. So we pray for the kingdom that is already here, but also still coming to be ushered in. In fact, we, by extension of that prayer, will continue to usher the kingdom in as we await the fullness of that with the return of Christ. Then we looked uh, last week at making space to ask Part one, today is part two, and we focused on give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And then finally today, we get to making space for the last portion of the prayer of the Lord's Prayer that we uh, tend to say and lead us not into temptation or trial, but deliver us from the evil one or deliver us from evil. Uh, These are translational variations, and, and we can talk about those. Now, of course, the prayer goes on into, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. But those, that is a correct theological prayer. It's correct to pray like that. In fact, it's based on Old Testament uh, prayer. But um, it's, the only reason we're not quoting it from Matthew necessarily is because the earliest manuscripts of the Gospel of Matthew don't contain that phrase. But we're not saying you can't finish your prayer like that. In fact, it is very biblical to finish your prayer for yours is the kingdom, the power. And I always have to think about it because I memorized it in Spanish. Tuyo es el reino, tuyo es el poder y la gloria por siempre, Señor. So I always have to like, <laughs> like think about it in English. Um, so sorry that I stumble a bit there. Um, but okay, so today we're focusing particularly on the request and lead us not into temptation or trial, but deliver us from evil. Uh, There's a lot that's been made uh, about this. And I'm I'm appreciative of Paul, for example, when he teaches here, he usually uh, opens up with the Lord's Prayer. And when he says the Lord's Prayer, he emphasizes the word, excuse me, the word trial, or he says great trial. Lead us not into great trial. And that's important for us to understand. Now, before I jump into all of this, I'm going to say a word of prayer because 
I usually pray for myself before I come up here, and I didn't. So I'm going to pray right now. <laughs> Even though, Abby, thank you for your prayer, right? Uh, but I'm also going to pray for myself. Uh, Father, I just ask that right now that it be you that speaks, that this wouldn't be a show or display, that I wouldn't let, it get, let my ego get into this, that this wouldn't be me showboating, that this wouldn't be me like exhibiting knowledge, but that this would be me stepping aside to share what you have taught me and others in the history of the church about this prayer, that you would utilize my words and uh, redeem them in my imperfection, that you would use them to speak truth to us, to myself included, uh, that we would make praying for lead us not into temptation or trial, but deliver us from evil, not just a prayer, but a lifestyle. And so uh, I pray this all in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're going to read through the Lord's Prayer because it's kind of been our foundation. So let's start right there by reading through the whole Lord's Prayer, and then we'll focus on that last section of the Lord's Prayer. We're off of Matthew 6. I want to encourage you, uh, if you have a Bible with you, that's great. If you don't have one, sometimes we'll have some of the scripture on the screen, but I don't want you to feel like you need to race through a lot of scripture because it's a, it's a flaw that I have. Like I think of all these scriptures that, I, that, I wanna, that I've been thinking about, and then I just race through them. So I apologize. That's a flaw that I have. Uh, so Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, verses 9 through 13. Pray then like this. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples who have just asked him how to pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so we're focusing on Matthew 6, verse 13, the last portion of this prayer. Um, I just realized I forgot to share this word on the screen, but I'll, I'll share it for you. The Greek word that we've translated, or not we, but many Bible translators have translated into temptation, some versions into trial, is perosmos. So when you read and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, the Greek word is perosmos, and that's P-E-I. R-A-S-M-O-S. -S. Well, the moment you do a derivative of that in Greek, the, the spelling changes. And furthermore, Greek doesn't even use the uh, American alphabet, or the English alphabet, excuse me, American alphabet. <laughs> the English alphabet. Um, so th this is just a paraphrasing or a, a, a para-pronunciation uh, from the original Greek lettering, perosmos. So we don't want to turn this into a Greek class. That's not the point. But what I want you to see is that this word appears in multiple places in the New Testament as test, trial, tribulation, and temptation. So our word temptation, when we pray and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, that English word is limited. Because when you and I think of temptation, we think of... It's like when someone brings over Krispy Kreme. 
Oh, man, that's tempting. I shouldn't, but I want to. That's how we think of temptation, right? It's like, oh, double-stuffed Oreos. I shouldn't, but I'm tempting, right? It's like, you know you shouldn't, but you want to partake in. And so when we read, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, while there is a component of that that deals with the temptation to sing, we're limiting the word. So perosmos, whether you remember that Greek word later or not, is irrelevant. I want us to realize that the word is limited by the English word temptation. It's a lot more full than just tempted to eat Krispy Kreme, eat double stuffed Oreos or whatever, or sin, sexual sin. I'm tempted to, to sexual sin. I'm tempted to be angry. I'm te- it's deeper than that. See, when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer, he's teaching them his own prayer to the Father. His own prayer to the Father. And what he's praying is deeply related to his life. Things that he had already experienced earlier, two chapters earlier in Matthew, and that he would experience later in Matthew 26. Two key moments where Jesus goes through great trial, great testing. So that's key for us to understand. It's that the word is a lot more full than just tempted to do evil. To see this, I, I want us to see other instances in the New Testament of perosmos, okay? Or perazo, or other derivations in Greek of the same word. One that we often hear quoted a lot is in James 1 when it talks about trials. See, in verse 12, if you read James chapter 1, verse 12, it's going to be on the screen. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Guess what? That's perosmos. Okay? Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under perosmos. For when he has stood the test, that's perosmos, I think again, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say he is tempted, perazo, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So one thing that we take away is that immediately in two verses, the same Greek word was used differently. And the English language isn't sufficient for us to understand peirasso. It's not sufficient, okay? So blessed is a man who remains steadfast under great trial. But let no one say he is tested by God. Well, it's a better translation to say maybe tempted, Because it turns out, at least in Old Testament theology, God does test us. Rabbis would agree. Abraham was tested by God. So God does test, but he's not the evil professor that's trying to get you to flunk. He's the professor that wants you to pass. He's the good professor that is worried, did you study? Did you prep? Are you ready for it? Which is why Jesus prompts his disciples in Gethsemane to remain watchful and pray that they would not fall into temptation. So, again, this word is deeper, okay? It's deeper. At least we know one thing from this passage. 
God isn't tempting you to get you to fail. He's not testing you to get you to fail. Either or. He's not putting you through a trial, putting you through a tribulation. He's not putting you, more importantly, he's not tempting you to sin. God doesn't do that. It says it right here to the, the brother of Je- The brother of Jesus is telling us this. God doesn't test you to, to get you to sin. He doesn't entice you to sin. He himself tempts no one. So look at another instance where, again, this word or a derivation of it occurs. 1 Corinthians 10. In 1 Corinthians 10, you got verses 12 through 13. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. We're going to come back to that later. I'm going to make a point about that. No temptation or test or trial has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted, again, perosmos, or a derivation of it, beyond your ability, but with the perosmos, he will also provide a way, the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, you might be on the other side of the debate of this Greek word and say, no, this word never means temptation to sin. The problem is, in this chapter, or in this portion of the letter of Paul, he's talking precisely about two sins, or, or, or one particular sin, idolatry. So when he talks about the temptation or the test or the trial here, he means specifically don't give in to idolatry. That is what Paul means here. So what's the deal? Does God test it or does he not? God tasted, tested Abraham, Genesis 22.1, right? He tested Abraham. Uh, Tim Mackey, who's a theologian uh, that is the co-founder of the Bible Project, I often quote him a bit because... He knows stuff, and I don't. Um, And he says that basically temptations are, you know, they're an opportunity. They're an opportunity that God gives us to reveal where we are, to reveal our allegiance, to reveal our character, and actually, I would say, even to shape us. You know, these 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 opportunities that God gives us through through testings are opportunities for partnership. He's asking us to partner with him. So when he, he, in the garden, right, in the, in the story of the garden, when there's a tree that we're not supposed to eat of, it's not like, let me see if you fail at this. God is asking us to partner with him in not defining evil and good in our own terms, but listening to what he says. And all the different tests that God leads us into sometimes. They're not meant to entice us to sin, but they're meant to be opportunities to partner with him and to reveal who we truly are. Tests are meant to reveal, just like tests in school reveal our knowledge, granted, in a flawed way, tests aren't perfect, but for God, the test is meant to reveal who we are, and it is an opportunity to partner with him. In, uh, in what he's doing in establishing his kingdom. Now, one of the, op- one of the, excuse me, one of the moments that shaped Jesus and that kind of launches his ministry right after he's baptized is when he's led into 
the wilderness, into the desert to be tempted by the tester or tested by the devil. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 3, Jesus was led up to the Spirit, excuse me, was led up by the Spirit. So God is leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, but not tempted by God, but tempted by the devil. But again, here it is more appropriate, even though it is true that Jesus will be tempted, it is deeper meaning. He is being tested. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So again, here we have Perosmos, tempted by the devil. Again, moral of the story, if you've seen a lot of scripture right now, Ricardo's trying to make a point. Temptation is not just temptation. Test is not just test. This word is fuller, and it's limited by English language. It's limited. I find as a bilingual speaker that this happens a lot. Sometimes people ask me, how do you say this in Spanish? And I literally reply, there is no word. Or vice versa. Languages don't always culturally have a word for an instance that they don't experience as a culture. And so if something happens that a culture experiences continuously, they develop a word that encompasses all of that. That happens in Spanish. And then sometimes when I try to translate it into English, I have to give like five different words or two sentences to define it. It's just the way language works. So what can we learn from this and how can we use it to pray? That's really the remainder of our time here. Number one, God uses tests as an opportunity, as I said earlier, to reveal who we are and to shape us. God uses tests as an opportunity to reveal who we are and to shape us. Again, for me, I'm a mathematics professor. And yes, I know I had douchey mathematical professors, okay? I had those math mathematics professors, but I also had the ones that inspired me. Gracia and JP also had one of my professors uh, back in Puerto Rico um, who, he was transformational. And when he gave us tests, he gave tests because he wanted us to succeed. And he was worried about how we would do on those tests. He would give us hints on what to study. But at the end of the day, if he would give us the key to the test, that's not a test. That doesn't reveal what I know. That, more importantly, it's not about what you know. It is about, am I learning? Am I learning to think in a certain way? That's in the school context. Now, for us, the tests that God gives us, they're meant to, yes, reveal who we are, but also shape us in the process. They're meant to build us into the likeness of Christ. Now, here's the thing. This is probably where we will spend most of our time here. Point number two. If Jesus, our teacher, went through trial, or perosmos, for the sake of ushering in the kingdom and salvation, so will we. Okay? So let me say that again. Because you... I'm not saying everyone here, but many of you have signed up to be disciples of Jesus. You've signed up to be an imitator of Jesus. If Jesus, who's our rabbi, our teacher, 
went through Perasmus for the sake of ushering in the kingdom, so will we. He went through temptation in the garden, but also in the desert, and so will we. Now, let's try to, for a moment, let's, let's stop talking specifically about how that applies to our lives. Let's see what the testing did in Jesus and therefore by default to us. Let's look at one of the tests. Matthew 4. We're going to go to Matthew 4. We read a little bit of it earlier, but Jesus now is being led into the desert. This is, one, this is an amazing passage where Jesus is led into the desert to be tested by the devil. We're going to read only verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city. And set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only, and him only shall you serve. Excuse me. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is a really odd story. What's the deal with the bread? What's the deal with the 40 days? It's important for us to realize what's happening here so that we realize how this applies to us and how we pray, Lead us not into trial, but deliver us from evil. Jesus, right before this, right before he goes into the desert, he gets baptized. Yes, someone said it. He gets baptized. He gets baptized. Now he goes into the desert. So he goes through water, and then he goes into the desert, and he hangs out there for 40 days. Hang on, Bible nerds. That sounds familiar. This character went through water went through water, then hung out in the desert for 40 days. Israel. He is the true Israel. The one that's supposed to bring blessings to the many nations. Israel goes, led by Moses, as Paul said, through the waters. Goes through the waters. And then they go into the desert. By the way, what do they ask for in the desert eventually? Bread. He asked for mana. Oh, that's what's happening here. So here's Jesus, the true Israel, the one who's saying, as Tim Mackey would put it, he's restarting the history of Israel. That's what he's doing. Israel got it wrong. I'm going to get it right. I will go through the waters. But then when I go into the desert, I won't complain and ask for the manna. God, right, is the word of God. Man doesn't live, by the way, God isn't saying you don't live by bread. He's saying you don't live by bread alone. He gets our needs. He 
is tempted and wanders for 40 days in the desert, just like Israel was wandering for 40 years in the desert and tempted consistently. But get this. But wait, there's more. Wait, there's more. The person that tempts this tester, the devil, it's kind of like we've seen him before in maybe the book of Genesis. There's this person who in the garden is tempting or testing Adam and Eve. Well, now Jesus is the better Adam and Eve. Jesus is the true image bearer. So not only is he the true Israel, the better Israel, he's the true image bearer. So it's not just about a group of people that are Jewish. It's about all humanity. We were meant to icon, to be the image of God. We were meant to do that to perfection, to participate in the opportunity of building and blessing life throughout the world. We were tested and we failed. Jesus says, I'm going to pass that test for you. I am the true image bearer. That's why he is the image of the, of the glory of God, right? He is the true image bearer. So Jesus is doing all of this to restart the story, not just of Israel, of humanity. He is experiencing this testing that we will never have to experience. This is the great test, the test of humanity, the test of Israel, who was meant to bless humanity, and the test of humanity. All failed by us. Everyone's guilty. But Jesus restarts the history of humankind. He starts the his, restarts the history of Israel so that none of us ever have to go through that trial again. Now, we will go through trials, different trials. We will go through different tests because, as we said we are his disciples. If he went through these trials for the sake of ushering in the kingdom, and now we're supposed to go to the world, to every corner. There's no corners in the world. <laughs> we're supposed to go to everyone and preach the gospel of Jesus. We are now inviting them to become like Jesus, who understands, even though, even like in the, in, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, doesn't like the test, he understands, I need to go through this test. I don't like it. I don't want it. In fact, Jesus went through a panic attack in Gethsemane. But he embraces it, and he understands it. He's not like, it, it, it's not that he's enjoying the pain of the trial, and neither should we. But he understands that through the labor comes a new world. N.T. Wright says that it, it, it's a picture. What Jesus is going through is a picture of the birth of the new world. Before the new world is bo born, you get childbearing pain. You, 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 or you get labor pain, excuse me. So Jesus understands that to birth the new world, the new creation, the kingdom, he has to go through labor pain. He, it's not that labor pain is good. He's not enjoying the labor pain, but he understands this is the path. Through the labor pain, the new world is birthed. And so I, as a disciple of Jesus, have to understand that thankfully he did the trial, but there will be trials for me. 
There will be suffering and testing. There will be instances. And the Bible doesn't try to address why these happen. The Bible isn't given to us for us to try to answer why does the test occur. We just know that through the test, as we mimic Christ, we will birth new beginnings. So, don't enjoy the trial because you enjoy the pain, but rejoice because you know that through the trial, there's labor pain that produces new life. It's a huge difference, and it's a change of mentality about what this lead us not into trial issue is. We're going to be sometimes led into trial, and we can, like Jesus did in the garden, he requested to be Please spare me of this great trial. The answer to him was no. But we can pray to sometimes be excused from that. At the end of the day, though, we pray much like we did at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, your will be done. So sometimes we will go through trial. But know this. He went through the ultimate trial. He went through the ultimate labor pain so that you don't have to. Now we, in smaller fashions, as imitators of Jesus, we stand in the gap and we suffer. These passages won't be on the screen, but now if I think about that, about how I am helping to usher the kingdom that Jesus already brought, but we're still moving in equipment, right? We're still moving in parts to what will be the new world, right? Now all these passages make sense if I understand that if I'm a follower of Jesus, I got to go through labor pain. I got to go through labor pain. I don't know why, and the Bible doesn't tell me why. I just know what the result will be. New beginnings, new world, new kingdom, no more death, no more pain when finally Christ returns. That's the end point. I have to go through this like Jesus, not to his extent, but in doing so, I am ushering the kingdom. Now all these passages that won't be on the screen make sense. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, perosmos, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Philippians chapter 3. The faith that, which comes through faith, or excuse me, uh, faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, that's Jesus, Paul is saying, and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. What? Why am I becoming like him in his death? Why am I sharing in his sufferings? I'm mimicking him. That's why we get baptized for crying out loud. He went through the waters. That's why we rise up. He resurrected. We're sharing in his sufferings. We go through a spiritual death. And we go through trials like Jesus did. Colossians 1, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body. Yo, what? Okay, that sounds masochist, but I'm going to read it again. Paul is saying in Colossians 1, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. There it is. And, my, and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church that's how you go through labor pains why are you going through labor pains for the sake of his body you rejoice in your sufferings 
even though it's not that you're enjoying the trial, but you understand that for the sake of the body, for the sake of others, for the sake of ushering the kingdom, for the sake of producing life, for, this, for the sake of living different than the world, you will go through the labor pain. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, the perosmos of your faith, produces steadfastness. That means unshakable. And let that unshakableness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Like who? Like Christ. You're going through trials because Christ did. You're going through trials because Christ did. Listen, I... I've gone through 10, 11 months of craziness in my life. And I don't understand why. I don't. I know I will eventually see, but I don't understand why. It's not just, I know a lot of you are familiar with my back stuff. I had surgery. Yes, it's not just that. I've gone through so much in the last year, and I don't understand any of it. I know where God is calling me to and what God is calling me to and what he's asking me to give up. But I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, I get it in my trust in him. <laughs> but it's hard. I'm not enjoying the pain. I'm not enjoying the pain. But I know that through this labor pain, new life will come. I know somehow I'm going to bless someone, not by my power, but because of what God is doing in me through this test that he's allowed in my life. If Jesus was shaped by the test in the desert and the test in Gethsemane, how am I not going to be shaped by this? Come on, give me an amen. How am I not going to be, how are you not going to be shaped through these trials, through these tests that make no sense? If Jesus was shaped and he's saying, walk my way, walk my path, produce life as I have, then we will. I don't know why you're going through what you're going through. But man, the new life that will be birthed out of your life in imitation of Jesus. Woo! How you will bless others. Now, what can we do in the meantime? We can pray, lead us not into trial, into tests, into tribulation, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Whatever, whether Jesus says yes or no to that trial request, one thing he will always say yes to us. He will deliver us. He will deliver us from the evil one or, the, or evil. Whatever your translation is, it could be either or. From the evil one or from evil, he will deliver us. It won't look like you think it looks, but he will deliver you. We can cry out. Paul has been thinking about this when he wrote Romans between what we label as chapter 7 and 8. In Romans chapter 7, he's talking about how he fails. His spirit wants to do one thing, but his flesh does the other. Doesn't Jesus tell the same thing to his disciples in Gethsemane? He says, pray because your flesh is willing or your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. So there's this awareness that we will, left to our own devices, we will fail these trials. But what can we do? We can pray this and we can cry out to Abba Father. He's a good father, we just sang. 
We can cry out to the Father when our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. We can cry out, Abba, Father. I mean, again, Jesus told his disciples, pray because the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And in Romans chapter 7, Paul is complaining, what I want to do, I don't do. I want to honor God, but I fail. And yet in chapter 8, he talks about crying through the spirit of adoption that we've received, the Holy Spirit. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, in Romans 8, verses 14 through 17, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. You see, you're walking the path of your brother, Jesus. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified. Yo, new life. I, I'm going in the suffering with him, but new life. I don't know why this is happening, but new life. I will be glorified with him. I will be called a son and daughter of God the same way Jesus is. At the level and standing of Jesus. That's insane. That's what awaits. Don't focus here. That's what awaits. We can cry out. He's a good father. I love that Abby said, you know, some of you have had horrible fathers. It's true. We can't let our earthly experience of fatherhood define who the father is. God reveals through the entirety of scripture the type of father he is. Slow to anger. Abounding in unfailing love. He is merciful. God is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his son to go through the perosmos and through death. So that new life, new birth, that's the new birth that we and others can now experience as the worship team comes back and I figure how to join as well. <laughs> as the worship team comes back, I, I want to do two things. I want to recap what we've discussed today and two, pray. Here's what we've discussed today. When we say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, Temptation is not the best word. Test, trial, tribulation, all of it. That's the first thing we learned. We learned from various passages that sometimes it means, temptation sometimes means enticing to sin, but not my God. It's by the tester. Sometimes it means trial. Sometimes it means a test to reveal, but God uses tests not to fail us, but to pass us to form us, to reveal who we are, and to form us. That's how God uses tests. He's forming you. I've seen when I write a certain type of question to a student on a test, how it can form them. When teachers write a certain test that gets them to think about a question they've never thought, you're forming them through the test. We saw that Jesus who has a very close relationship with the greatest of trials, he went through the desert to be the perfect Israel. He went to be the perfect human being. The, the test that was failed in the garden, 
The Israel that went through the water but failed and begged constantly, feed me, feed me, feed me. He is the true Israel, the restart of the history of Israel, but also the restart of the history of humanity. He went through trial, the greatest trial, and you won't have to go through that one. But we will go through trials as we follow Jesus. So we can cry out to God, Abba, Father. And we can say, lead us not into trial. But if you do, deliver us from evil. Deliver us. Show us a way out. God promises to provide a way out. He will not let us be tested beyond what we can bear. Let's pray. Father, as we start to think about just one sentence, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Help us to understand that it's deeper than just an enticing to sin. It is a test. The devil may use it to try to entice us to sin, or even our own desires may want to entice us to sin. But you use it to shape us and to reveal us as we become more like you. You want us to imitate Jesus. You want us to, through trial, produce life. Through labor pain, produce new beginnings, new world, new creation, new life. So may we not enjoy the pain of the trial, but may we rejoice in expectation of what is to come new life. Like Jesus, who Peter tells us, for the joy set before him endured the cross. So may we endure our cross for the joy on the other side of the trial. May we rejoice knowing what is to come and how we will bless others. Give us patience as we walk through the trial, as we walk through the sufferings, and deliver us. Abba, Father, we cry out united in one body right now. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.